0: First John, chapter three, and I'll begin reading at verse four. First John three, verse four, coming back to this passage for the second time. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's ask God to bless his word now. Lord, we thank you for everything that we've experienced already this morning in this place of your people We thank you for the blessing of the local church and the encouragement that we get from one another. And now, Lord, we we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, so John in this passage particularly is dealing with... Uh, That false teaching that says you can be a Christian and live any way you want to live, that your your life is irrelevant in this gospel of grace. He's dealing with that. That's a false teaching uh, because Jesus, as we've already read here, he came to save us from our sins, both the penalty and the practice of sin. Or maybe another word we might use is domination. Uh, Paul likes to use that idea in Romans of how we're no longer under the domination of sin we still sin but we're not slaves to it anymore we're not dominated by sin we're living as Christians a life of repentance Uh, the reality is is mentioned there in in the third verse in uh, chapter 3 it says everyone who has this hope the hope of Christ returning again and us becoming like him we becoming like him everyone who has uh you know, I'm reading a foreign language right now because my regular use is the New King James and I'm reading ESV. So I've got everything in my head's New King James, which came from the King James. So if I stumble around up here, it's not yet because I can't read anymore, but it's just because I. So let me try to read that one more time. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's what every Christian does. A, a true Christian as he grows uh, different levels, obviously. Uh, he has this hope of becoming like Christ and especially being like him when he returns, which will happen. Uh, he's purifying himself just, just as Jesus is pure. Why did he come into this world? Well, it's stated a couple of times here. Verse five, you know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. And also, if you look at the eighth verse, uh, the second part of it, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, so far we've seen this, that. What is sin? Sin can be defined as living contrary to divine law. That's verse 4. It's uh, that thinking, planning, being motivated by things that are rebellion against God's law, against what He has revealed. Remember, we said this sin at its root is a wrong attitude toward God. It's like Paul says in Romans 8 7 the carnal mind is enmity against God, it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Or it's like what you see in the parable uh, of the 10 minus where uh, we read this about the subjects that were left to do the nobleman's business while he was gone. The nobleman in that passage is Jesus. And this is what we read. They said this after he left. We will not have this man to rule over us. That's the attitude of lawlessness. And we're told the reason why they said that is because they hated him. In Luke 19:14, or this in the second psalm, uh, the nations are recorded as saying this about the Lord and his Messiah. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us There's a heart enmity to the unbeliever being in submission to God is bondage. It's slavery. It's a horrible slavery where we know it's where the true freedom is found. Also, we saw that Christ came into this fallen earthly scene to deliver us from our sins, both the penalty and the practice. So we come to this now and we can make a statement like this from this passage from verse six, your lifestyle, the way you live. That identifies who you are. In other words, this verse helps you to see that. Is Christ's purpose being accomplished in me? Because his purpose, as we just saw in the fifth verse, was to deal with sin, um, to take it away. And in him there is no sin. Well, is my lifestyle reflecting that? Is his work being accomplished in me? Is my lifestyle, my way of life, giving an accurate description of who I really am? Uh, Notice. How the Christians is described there in in the first part of the verse of verse six. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Uh, That's the ESV rendering of it. Literally, it says this. Everyone who is in him remaining does not sin. That is, whoever does not have a mere passing ephemeral relationship with him. Uh, Doesn't keep sinning. In other words, he perseveres. He stays with Christ. Uh, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all, as the hymn says. Uh, In other words, we go back to the 29th verse of the second chapter. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Uh, Christ is central in your life and increasingly so if you're really a Christian. That doesn't mean that our spiritual walk on a graph looks like this. It doesn't look like that. It looks like this. But the trend is up. Um, So the Christian is said here to be abiding in him. And that's true of all Christians. You know, there's a, and I think it's kind of, it's run its course, but there's something known as Keswick theology. And it was really popular back in the early part of the century and late last, uh, the 1800s. And it's still around. And it's kind of you could sum it up like this. The the theology is this, is that don't try to live the Christian life. If you're a Christian, don't try to live it. Let Christ live his life through you. Let go and let God. It's a mystical, unbiblical way of approaching the Christian life. And one of the ways that was expressed was, are you abiding in Christ today? The terminology is biblical. Are you, what they meant by that, though, is this. Are you, are you just letting yourself go and let Christ live his life through you? It sounds very spiritual, but it doesn't work because it's not biblical. You have to put your back into it. Uh, we have spirit-empowered obedience and law-keeping. Um, so the Christian here is said to be abiding. And, you know, this is the, category, the categorizations they would make. They would say some Christians aren't abiding in Christ. And others are. But not biblically speaking. Biblically speaking, every Christian is abiding in Christ. It's an objective reality. It's not primarily a subjective thing. So if you just go back to uh, earlier in chapter 2, look how John says it there. He says in verse 4, Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says, here it is, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So every Christian is really an abider. And so we ought to be walking as he walked. That ought to be the goal. That ought to be the the trajectory in our lives. Um, Barnes puts it like this when he's talking about this concept of abiding. He says it refers to a fixed and permanent attachment to him. We live in him. We remain steadfast in our attachment to him as we do our own home. Not as following him with transitory feelings, emotions, and raptures. That is, the mountaintop experienced person. I think that's, a, that's what the Christian life is. You know, some churches build their whole ministry on that kind of thing. They keep the people interested by always having an exciting show going on. And you have these mountaintop experiences. That's the Christian life. It's not. You know, the Christian life pretty much is, how do I put it? It's very ordinary, day to day. Some people would say humdrum. I wouldn't call it that. But abiding in Christ means that just daily you do the things God requires of you. You, you live responsibly. You, you openly depend on him. You acknowledge him. You pray to him. That's abiding in him. And John tells us here that if you abide in him, you will walk as he walked. Now, notice something quite shocking. The ESV took took the shock off it a little bit for us because the the translation at the beginning of verse six is, is interpretive. And translations have to be interpretive. They have to be a lot of the time. But they did take the edge off here unnecessarily, I think. But anyway, they know more than I do. And I mean that. Uh, Notice what the inspired John writes here. He says that the one who is abiding in Jesus, literally, he says, does not sin. Now, do you see how the ESV put it? And I think rightly so. I think they interpreted the tense here rightly. They say no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. But the literal translation is does not sin. Well, what does that mean? Because I'm in a lot of trouble if if I think I'm a Christian and yet this passage is saying, if you well, if you're really abiding him, that's another way of saying a Christian says does not sin. I sin. I suspect you do, too. In fact, I know you do not because I know you, but because I know the Bible, but also because I read first John chapter one and first John chapter one says that if we say we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So, we know that what John is saying in verse 6 cannot be in contradiction to what he said in chapter 1. Christians still commit acts of sin. And I know you're thinking, duh. Okay, yet yeah, we know that. Okay, so what does this verse in 3.6a mean? Well, DSV has told you. Put it another way, it's the Christian's way of life is not just unbroken sin. Um, uninterrupted practice of sin. It doesn't mark him. Okay, let me put it this way. What do you think of when I say, if I, refer, if I said bozo? Yeah. He's marked by being a clown. Bozo is, right? Okay, now, how should a Christian be marked? What should mark the Christian? A life of righteousness. Of living a life of righteousness. Righteousness. Of repentance, um, He's not a worldly person. He doesn't continue in willful sin. If he, if he sins, his ethos is to repent of it. It's his culture. Let me try to illustrate it a couple of ways. Let's say you start a new job. But before you start the job, the boss of the company, he says, I want to see you in my office before you start. I want to just kind of give you a lay of the land. And he says something like this. He says, in this company, we don't backstab. We don't gossip. Uh, We keep everything professional. No flirting. There's no inappropriate hugging and touching. Uh, If there's a problem, we use the chain of command. Uh, We help each other out. If someone gets behind in their work, we help that person to get caught up in their work. What is he saying? Is he saying that these things never happen? No one ever gossips. No, no one ever flirts inappropriately. No, he's not saying that. He's saying you. this is the ethos of our company. This is what marks our company. This is a good place to work. It's a professional place. It's our culture. Let me put it another way, another illustration. <clears throat> you put your children in a new school So you're going in, you have a a visit with the principal, or the headmaster, and uh, he says something like this. Here at our school, we don't bully. We don't cheat. We do our assignments and we do them on time. We don't sass. Um, No foul language. Um, What's he saying? Is he saying the kids are perfect? They never do any of these. They, they always have their assignments done on time. Um, they never bully. They never cheat. They're never little brats. Is he saying that? No. He's saying this is, this is what marks our school. This is our ethos. Okay. That's what he's saying in, in verse 6. He's not saying Christians never sin. He's saying, but the thing about a Christian is they can be identified. If you're around them long enough, you can identify them by their behavior. By the way they think. By the way they... Uh, by the way they speak, it marks them. One writer put it like this. Although the believer sometimes sins, yet not sin, but opposition to sin is the ruling principle in his life. Do you hear that? Not sin, but opposition to sin is the ruling principle of his life. Does, does that describe you to some, on some level? Can you see yourself in that? Every Christian's in this battle. And the longer you live, it's my discovery, and I used to hear older people say it. I thought, no, no, that can't be true of you. The longer I live, the more sinful I realize I am. The more I see my sin and understand it more than I did when I was younger. Every Christian's in this battle of fighting sin constantly. We fall, we get up. We sin, we confess and forsake and follow Christ. Lifestyle identifies who you are. It describes your spiritual reality. Your lifestyle does. Now, in the second part of the verse, you've got the the person who's the unrepentant person, but the person who's saying that he's a Christian. That's what John's dealing with here. What's he like? He says, well, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He's unrepentant in his lifestyle. Nothing's changed. My younger siblings, the three, my three youngest siblings, when they started being hauled off to Sunday school when uh, by a neighbor when they were younger, they started going to the Bible-believing church in the hometown where I grew up in Hudson. And uh, so I guess the pastor decided that they should be baptized, so they baptized them. And my mother wasn't a believer at the time, my late mother, and... Um, she said, nothing seemed to change about my three younger siblings at the time at all. They were still little pagans. And they would have told you that. But my mother very very cynically said, yeah. She says they went down dry sinners and came up wet sinners. Because their life hadn't changed at all. They were still the same as they were. And that's what you've got here at the second part of verse 6. They're still living the same way. Anti-law, unbroken, uh, uninterrupted sin. And that's the very opposite of the person at the beginning of the verse. One writer says, yes, sin is this person's ruling principle. So John says two things about this person in verse six. He says he's neither seen him. If he's continuing in sin, he hasn't seen him. And what does that mean? I've never seen Jesus. Well, you know, he means seen with the eye of faith. Like Jesus makes this promise to us in John chapter six. He says, whoever sees the son and believes in him will have everlasting life. So I've never seen him. You've never seen him, but you've seen him with the eyes of faith. And he also says about this person, he's neither known him. He doesn't have any relationship with him. It's just like what it said back in chapter two, where the person says, I know him. I know him. And John says he doesn't keep his commandments. He's a liar. You know, I think that these kinds of statements that you find in the Bible, they're very important and they're, and they're corrective to us. I mean, this church, I think, it seems to be drenched in grace, which is a good thing. You, you, you can't stress that enough. But one way you can fall off the other side of the horse is by turning the grace of God into licentiousness. Uh, by, by having the attitude, well, we're all saved by grace. It doesn't matter how we live. The Bible doesn't let us think that way. Now, let me say this uh, to anybody who's terrified right now. um, The Bible looks at a person's life, a Christian's life, or anybody's life, not as a snapshot, not as a still shot, not as a freeze frame, but as a movie. Uh, Like those choices you get on your smartphone. You hit that button, and you can either just take a shot of it, snapshot, or you can turn it into a movie. Um, Let me give you an example of this. Um, I tried to find it in in my basement. We did move into the house about a year ago, so I can't find some things. But I've got a couple of old baseball books that I bought when I was... In the late 60s or right around 1970, it was called Smith and Streets Baseball Magazine. It came out every year. I think they still still sell it. But anyway, what they would do is they would tell you some of the highlights of the previous year and their predictions, and then then they would cover every team, uh, and they would show some pictures from the previous year. A picture can be extremely misleading and deceiving. And here's a picture that's in there. Uh, it's of the Philadelphia Phillies. It's covering them in this particular chapter of the magazine. And there are two people in the picture. Um, one is the left fielder, Johnny Briggs, and the other one is the shortstop, Cookie Rojas. And there's a pop fly apparently that's been hit, and it's in between them. So the shortstop's going back, and the picture is this. Johnny Briggs is looking up into the sky like this, and Cookie Rojas is looking at Johnny Briggs. Who made the catch? Johnny Briggs. Johnny Briggs. Bookie Rojas is looking at him. You know what the caption says? It says, believe it or not, Rojas made the catch. But if you look at that picture, you'd say, well, Briggs had to make the catch because Rojas isn't looking up. He's looking at him. A picture can be extremely deceiving. And if I saw you or if you saw me in a particular act or moment in this past week where you were sinning and we took a picture of that and we put it up here. That would not be a good description of you. That would not really identify who you are if you're really a Christian. Because if you saw the picture, you'd say, I remember a man came in one time to a chapel when I was in seminary. And he was talking about this kind of thing, if I remember correctly. But he said, you know, he said, I wouldn't have wanted you to see me and my wife in our car earlier this week in, the, in a parking lot when we were having an argument. Had anything like that? this past week is there there any picture of you that you would not want seen but that wouldn't be fair would it to identify you only by that picture here's another snapshot Jesus is bloodied and beaten and he's dead on a cross gaping wound in his side blood everywhere people taunting him does that freeze frame tell you the whole story let the let, let the let the tape roll on and if you follow that tape three days later you'll see him risen from the dead have you ever had a bad photo taken of yourself some people are just photogenic i'm not one of them you know i don't think i'm that horrible looking but every picture i see of myself i am the worst looking thing i i always compliment my wife how do you stand being seen with me You know, one thing that people do is when they're going to have a snapshot, they say, "Okay, don't blink, don't blink, don't blink, don't blink. And then they see the photo. They blinked. So when did I blink? I didn't blink. Yes, you did blink. But have you ever had a picture, seen yourself in a picture like that where your eyelids are about halfway closed or three quarters closed? And you look like a drone. But you're not a drone, really, in real life. Let's just say for the sake of argument. Um, That's not a fair account. You had a breakfast here this morning. If someone was going around taking pictures in a still shot, and there's someone, as they're losing their food like that, and you look at that person, is that really what they're like? Maybe, but maybe not. It's the rolling film, it's the movie, not the freeze frame, that accurately tells the story. And I'm saying that because you might have had a really bad week. I know some believers recently have had some really bad weeks, and they're acting outside of their character. But I am hopeful that that's not really who they are. Again, John is what he's saying is what we see at the end of chapter two. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone. There's the movie. He's practicing righteousness has been born of him. Don't, don't assess your life by, by a bad day. But be worried if it becomes day after day after day after day and there's no thought of repentance. You know, if you look at Abraham in one part of his life, if you look at Peter, you look at Moses hitting the rock in anger, Noah's drunkenness, it would, it would not be accurate if you said that picture describes who they are spiritually. It's the full movie, not the snapshot. Now, John gives a pastoral warning at this point. Because it's possible that some people are hearing this and they're saying, eh, blah, 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 blah. We believe in grace. You're preaching the law again. You're not bringing me under the law. You can live any way you want to live. Well... John gives a pastoral warning at this point. Look at it in verse 7. He says, little children. So John's being very pastoral here. Little children, let no one deceive you. In other words, some people are going to try to convince you and me that how we live has nothing to do with salvation. Now, there's one way that's true. But there's another way that's not true at all. Deceived about what? He's trying to persuade you. This deceiver is going to try to persuade you that you may live any way you want to live. And as long as you've signed the card, walk the aisle, whatever you want to call it, you're a true child of God. And don't let anybody ever tell you anything different, even though you live like the devil. Don't be led astray, John says, by such teaching. F.F. F. Bruce says in his commentary that the false teachers with their sophistry were capable not of merely condoning sin, but of making it seem virtuous. Isn't that what's going on in our world today? I'm for choice. I'm for killing babies. They try to make it sound virtuous. It's like what Isaiah said. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So there are going to be people who are going to teach you and their books are out there, their videos are out there, and they're saying, you can accept Jesus as your Savior, and that's enough. How you live has nothing to do with it. They make this great disconnect between the grace of God and the effect of the grace of God. Let me give you a quote from one of these books. You know, in this, this man, he taught at an evangelical seminary, I Don't doubt he was saved. And what he was trying to do, he was trying to protect the doctrine of salvation is by grace alone. But he went into the other ditch. Unfortunately, he went into a ditch. And this is what he said. This is false teaching. Let me read it to you. He says, it is possible, even probable, that when a believer out of fellowship falls for certain types of philosophy, if he is a logical thinker, he will become an unbelieving Believer. Yet believers who become agnostics are still saved. They are still born again. You can even become an atheist. But if you once accept Christ as savior, you cannot lose your salvation, even though you deny Christ. Does that line up with scripture? No. Let me show you how it doesn't line up with scripture. Listen to Hebrews 12, uh, 3, 12 through 14 the writer of hebrews says now he's talking to people who are under great pressure to forsake christ in their culture that their fellow jews are persecuting them we know that later on in the book of hebrews that they've had their goods plundered they got no justice they're being persecuted badly the writer of hebrews says beware brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living god but exhort one another daily While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now listen to this. This is one of these. The 14th verse is one of those terse descriptions of a Christian. Again, it doesn't tell you everything about a Christian, but it it gives you a good, brief definition of a Christian. Here it is. Hebrews 3.14. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Perseverance of the saints. Which is God preserving us. Listen to Colossians. 121 through 23. a. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he is reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And then you got the 23rd verse which says. If. That's all true of you. And cleansed, reconciled. If. If you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard. Listen to Jesus. John 8. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word. And in that very chapter, they didn't. They turned on him. They said that he was of the devil because he started dealing with their sin. He said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So a pastoral word here, little children, don't let anyone deceive you. It's much like what Peter says. Peter says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory. So don't let anybody tell you that works have nothing to do with salvation. They do. They don't produce it. They don't earn it. They don't merit it. But they are the absolutely necessary fruit of genuine salvation. One writer put it like this. Behavior. And when he says behavior, and when I say behavior, I mean not only what you do, but what you think, what motivates you. Conduct. It's the whole realm. Behavior is of unsurpassed importance in the Christian way. Believers are indeed justified before God by his grace alone which they accept by faith but those who have been justified will show it by their behavior that's why Christ came so to think that personal lifestyle has nothing to do with salvation is a damning disconnect truly is so let's be clear as I close one more time I am in no way denying that salvation is by grace alone I don't Trust in anything in myself, and I hope you don't. I don't hope in anything in myself that's going to make me right with God, any kind of merit of my own. No, none at all, saved by grace alone. But I know this, too. The Bible teaches me if God has done a work in my life, then my life is going to be changing. Christ came into the world. We're coming up onto Christmas time. Don't sentimentalize his coming into this world. He came to deal with this ugly thing called sin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is clear on both sides. And every true Christian understands this. We understand, Lord, we would not dare trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus name. We would not dare in any way to think anything that we've ever done would earn our favor, earn favor with you. We know better than that. And we don't go there at all. We know that our salvation is completely a gift from you in Jesus Christ. And yet, if we've met the Savior, if we know him, if we abide in him, um, we'll walk as he walked. So, Lord, teach us to be biblical on both sides of this truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.